Welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about questionable child care ratios so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Babysitter's Club Super Special Number 2, Babysitter Summer Vacation, and Everything Changes, The Babysitter's Club Friends Forever Special Number 1, both by Anna and Martin. Joining us to discuss the super special summer stories is the most senior junior CIT at Camp Mohawk, Amy Stern. Hi. Hi, Amy. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I was, I'm so excited to get to, you know, talk about the Babysitter's Club. This was like my fandom before I knew what fandom was. Like, I, like every every page that I was reading when I was rereading these for this, it's like, yeah, I knew every bit of that. None of this is a surprise because I read these books to death. <laughs> it's int- I'm glad that you brought the Friends Forever to my attention um, because, well, I'll just say the Friends Forever, they came out in 1999 and 2000. And so for me, that was a little bit when I had stopped reading Babysitter's Club. So I didn't know that this kind of follow-up series even existed until now. And then reading it, I had honestly such a huge emotional response to this like new babysitters club content and versus the super special summer vacation to me that when I was a kid that was probably my all-time favorite babysitters club book I definitely this one lives in my mind I definitely had this one pseudo memorized yeah I had so when the um friends forever series started coming out, that was when I was working as a library page, mm. so I was familiar with them like i I saw them and I knew that they were there um and i I think this is the one I read a couple of them just because I was like new babysitters club content, and I do believe this is one of them because I do have a very strong memory of Christy showing the letter from Jesse to Abby and Abby being like, that's great for her. And Christy being like, no, you're supposed to be mad about it. But I I don't remember most of it. But again, like I read it like once on my lunch break at the library when I was 15 or whatever, (laughs) and not a hundred times like I read most of the Babysitter's Club books. So my Babysitter's Club experience, you can kind of divide into like two chunks, one of which is from when I was in like first grade through sixth grade when I was reading everything the first time. And then my mom made me get rid of all my Babysitter's Club books when I was, like, going into middle school, which I have still not forgiven her for. Yeah, that's rude. Yeah, I, I she asked me what I was doing today, and I was like, I'm recording a podcast on the Babysitter's Club, which you threw out and I had to buy again. <laughs> um, but anyway, then when I was in college, um, there were the, ch- the children's l- section of the public library was really good, and I would jo- go, just go there and read, and I read – a ton of animorphs and a ton of babysitters club. And like, I would drag my friends with me and we would all lie around reading babysitters club books and quoting bits of them. So I am pretty much familiar with the whole series. So you, you had a babysitters club club. Oh, I had a babysitters club club. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> like not the kind that you form when you're actually the right age to, because no one ever wanted to join a babysitters club club at that time. Although I totally would have, but in college, it, it was like, yeah, oh. And it turns out that when you're the only person who's really into children's books, a lot of other people, when they're looking to de-stress, will be like, oh, can I borrow something? And then all of a sudden, you have people to talk children's books with because they need a break from what they're doing and you've never stopped. <laughs> That's a good strategy. I should keep that in mind. Yes. <sighs> okay. Well, 
these two books that we've picked, I feel like I got too excited and we didn't do a proper intro, but I'm just too excited. But this is Flashback Summer. (laughs) 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 If this is like your first ever episode of the podcast, like this is a mess. Um, But please judge us as if we were small eighth graders trying to run a business yes in podcast terms that's what we are we're just like little babies meeting in claudia's <laughs> room and trying to do a podcast and you got your own line here's what it is though we got our own phone line but christy's out so our alternate officer don is in charge and it's just like a little chaotic <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this is part of Flashback Summer. It is, what, our second our second one this year, and the first of a couple episodes, at least, we're going to be doing about the Babysitter's Club. So we figured we would kick it off with, you know, a summer classic of summer camp. And it is, so when we, we started this with the idea, like, oh, like, we'll do the ones where they're at summer camp, which I imagine was Amy's suggestion. I Actually, it was mine based on my knowledge of Amy's interests, but also my <laughs> knowledge of my interests. It was really on target in terms of your knowledge of my interests. So, <laughs> Very clear from the fact that I assume that this is your thing to begin with. Um, but um, where was I going with this? Oh, so when when we we decided to do summer camp as the theme for this first episode, the size of an impact that these summer camp books had on me is such that when it turned out that it's really only one book where they go to camp, yeah, <laughs> I was shocked. I was shocked that they only went to camp <laughs> once because it is just so clear in my head. Like, so many, I have so many memories of, like, the antics that these girls got up to at camp that I I couldn't believe that this was really it, mostly. And here's where it gets into the weirdness of there being 100 plus books and the girls really not being allowed to age. And also kind of the confusing timeline of it all is the first super special in the original Babysitter's Club series, is this meant to be the summer before eighth grade, or did they just repeat the summer after eighth grade two times, and are they in a time loop? Amy, do you know? Yes. Pretty much all of these are the su- are either, it's eighth grade through the summer after eighth grade, and then it just kind of goes back. It's like, we're, so we're in a time loop here. But it's a time loop yeah. where everyone knows it's repeating. Okay. In terms of Camp Mohawk, we know that there were at least three times that that someone went to that someone went to Camp Mohawk. We have Babysitter Summer Vacation, which is the first one for everyone and is the introduction to it for everyone. Then we have the Babysitter's Little Sister Super Special Number Six, where Karen goes to camp but makes a point out of how Christy's not there. But then we also have mm. Everything Changes, where Christy is the only member of the Babysitter's Club there. So, and all of these theoretically exists at the exact same time because in all of them the the 13 year olds are CITs and CITs are only 13 year olds okay so here's where I want to get into some real world talk and I don't want it to go on too long but I simply must address it first of all when I was a kid I loved going to camp and then as an adult I worked at I, I worked at different Girl Scout camps for four summers two years of which were at the same camp that I went to as a camper and so and when I was a kid I loved camp and I loved reading about camp but I was also always annoyed and confused and betrayed that every camp that I read about was not very much at all like the camp that I went to which was 
a Girl Scout camp says only girls. There's no boys camp across the lake or whatever. <laughs> and is there any camp in the world where it's a girls camp that has a boys camp across the lake? Like, I feel like every fictional camp has that set up. Do any real camps do that? Listeners, if you know, tweet at us. Oh, Amy, do you have an actual answer? No, I went to academic camp that was held on like college mm. campuses and we were just like in mm-hmm. next door dorms. So the entire concept of camp was like this amazing fantasy to me. Like I went to day camp as a kid, as a younger kid, but then mm-hmm. once I was old enough for sleepaway, it was like we have electricity and homework. <laughs> so I don't really get what you guys are doing with this, but good luck. But yeah, this it's such a huge trope of summer camp and children's books, either that the camp is single sex or that they're two like sister camps very close to each other that only meet for compulsory heterosexuality. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, j- just to warn anyone who doesn't know, I came really, really close to writing my graduate thesis on summer camp and children's literature. So I spent a while on this and I have a lot of opinions. Yes, that's why you're here. <laughs> yeah. I've also only, the only summer camp, the only sleepaway camp that I have been to is also been Girl Scout camp. So I also don't have, I don't know, because it was Girl Scout camp. So they were all girls. They were all girls. And Girl Scout camps are traditionally more rustic than the camps that are in, like, movies and stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. we slept in tents and not cabins. And fictional camps, I feel like, are always cabins. And I just want a little bit of, like, tent camp representation in literature. (laughs) And you're not getting it. Um, so that was my main beef as a child was like cabins, excuse me. But <laughs> as an adult, my main beef is like 13 year old CITs, excuse me, 13 year old CITs <laughs> being unaccompanied, excuse me. Like, and I, and I hate it when that's the beef of like, oh, it's a children's book. Why don't they just have the adults solve the problems or whatever? Like, I, and so I don't necessarily want to be that person, but I also want to scream. That at every camp I worked at, the CITs were like 15 and 16, like they were certainly in high school, and they were certainly considered campers and not in any way adults. And so... The thing for me is I would be able to accept that more if because like I know that a lot of camps have the issues of like retaining teenagers and making them CITs mm-hmm. younger and younger is a way to get them to work there if the counselors were adults. But the counselors here yes. are not adults. The counselors here are like, if we're really lucky, maybe young college students. Yeah, the counselors are all like 18, 19. To me, like the the ratio of it, like, yeah, okay, I would buy that. Oh, you're having the CITs here. But then these cabins are all like eight young kids, two CITs and one counselor, whereas you would need another counselor to get kind of to supervise. And then there's lots of times when it's like, oh, the counselors are going to a meeting and the CITs are in charge. And and no, they're not. <laughs> Just like, no, they're not. But um, that's fine because it's a children's book and it's a fun it's a fun fantasy for like 11-year-olds to be like, oh yeah, the cool 13-year-olds are in charge now. But as, for me as an adult reading it, I'm like, this is irresponsible. So again, not to get too into the Babysitter's Club weeds here, but like when you look at the mm-hmm. C-City books where they hire two babysitters to be the mother's helpers for the Pike family. I feel like that's what they're going for with this. That's the vibe that they're going for. But the difference is the Pike family had parents. Like they had adults who the children respected and who couldn't sue if something happened. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
we weren't allowed to let kids like go off on their own at all when I was a camp counselor. And obviously that was not in the year, God, this was published in 1989. So mm-hmm. uh, like obviously rules have changed somewhat since then and like legal liabilities have changed somewhat since then, but they haven't changed so much that you can entrust that many kids to that many other kids while like best I can tell there's like three adults on campus, the married people who run the camp and then the nurse. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's and I feel too like because I I agree with Renata and I know I've said it many times on this podcast before that, you know, a lot of times people will be reading middle grade novels and be like, I don't understand why there's no parents and like, this is terrible. This is so unrealistic. There's no parents here to solve all the problems. But I do think there's a way to do that to to have the kids still be have agency and be the ones doing things and making decisions and having adventures without being like, all right, everybody is at this summer camp that has been going on for so long that the kids' parents used to come to it. And there's a whole bunch of kids lost in the woods for two (laughs) days and no one is really doing very much about it. Yeah. And hey, Camp Mohawk, they they couldn't have gone that far. If you'd been looking, I bet you could have found them. (laughs) (laughs) okay in terms of the adult supervision aspect i thought that the netflix series handled that really well Mm -hmm. and and i was a lunatic for the netflix um series like it was everything that i wanted from babysitters club series which was emphasizing how young they are but also respecting the source material so obviously i love every aspect of it but like they in the netflix series they're like no you're 13, you're way too young to be CIT. You can like run theater programs if you want, because any kids who want to can head a theater program, but you're not in charge of anyone. You're a camper, you're a child. Someday you're going to appreciate the fact that you're a child. And then all of the kids were like running things, but running things that they elected to do and like still had a ton of agency, still were guiding the narrative. But there was this idea that there were adults, there were people who were responsible. Like this is one of those things where as a fan of middle grade, I want the child protagonist to be proactive and to have agency and to be able to do everything they can to guide the narrative. But as an adult, I'm kind of like this like borders on like criminal neglect. Like why why are we entrusting all of the children to these children? And it's something that I can kind of like wave away in most of the books where they're babysitting for like a day. Like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. you know, for three hours, sure. This is a really trustworthy group of 13 year olds. You want to trust them while you go out to a nice dinner? That's great. That's fine. But when it's two weeks, for some reason, that's where my suspension of disbelief splinters. When it's like, and by the way, there's not going to be a responsible adult periodically making sure they're not dead. When it's two weeks and you're at this like institution that should be accredited and have all these like rules and guidelines that you have to follow for safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also in the middle of nowhere, like in the woods, in unfamiliar conditions to most of these people, not like... I, when I was younger, and I think we've talked about this in other Babysitter's Club episodes that we've done, you know, I watched some of my younger cousins. I watched my brother when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. 
alone for, you know, hours at a time. But also, you know, my grandmother lived up the street and the neighbors were next door. And, you know, like it was in a safe neighborhood. And I knew, you know, how to get in contact with the police if I if an emergency happened, like it was much more and I can see that for for the babysitters club, like Amy said, like, if it's okay, well, we live in this like very sleepy community where everyone knows everyone. We've known these girls since they were little. We know they're responsible. We're not going far. We know that if something happens, their parents are right close by. Like, we trust this situation. Like, it is just, it does feel incredibly different than being like, okay, well, these adult strangers have left these 13-year-old girls (laughs) in charge of children who they've never met before. Yes. While they go to their cabin to watch movies together at night, and that's fine. Like, I feel like part of what hammers it in for this and... I'm sure that we'll get to later the sheer volume of characters that they introduce and how many people, Mm -hmm. like, we don't know and they just keep throwing them at you. But, like, with the Babysitter's Club, it's kind of like, it's a community. We've all kind of come to accept this ridiculous, tight-knit community. But here, each cabin Mm -hmm. has at least, like, four or five people who have no connection to Stony Brook. Like, they they, they don't have that built-in trust in either direction. And so it's a lot easier for me to be like, how would I feel if... Like, I was sending my completely fictitious and imaginary child to um, summer camp, and it turns out that they're being watched by this 13-year-old who's there with seven of their friends and very preoccupied with, like, getting their ears pierced. Like, I would be concerned. <laughs> yes. This is this is kind of going off in another direction, but that is, I mean, that's the show for you. There we are. Uh, it was hilarious to me that they were like, oh, yeah, 23 people from Stony Brook signed up to go to this camp because we saw a commercial or a brochure about it or whatever. Like, imagine working in this camp and suddenly having this influx of applications from this town you've never heard of before and everyone seems to know everyone else and you have to hire a whole other bus to go to their high school to pick them up yes yes the absurdity of it it just smacked me in the face reading it this time yeah and and it's not just like they're attending they're like They're enthusiastic and passionate from day one. They are singing on the bus. They are just fully into this idea of what camp is, which may or may not actually be what camp is, but they have decided it. Like, honestly, sometimes the entire book reads like somebody who, like they say Dawn did, watched Meatballs and Parent Trap a few too many times and decided that's a narrative. Yes, I did love the kind of meta aspect of Dawn being obsessed with those movies and then she made her friends watch them. And then that's why they all went to camp. And then that's why everybody went to camp. That's the power <laughs> of fiction, baby. <laughs> I like that Don's brother doesn't go. Like, they bring 10 million yeah. other kids, but Don's brother is like, I'm going to stay in California where, like, we have accredited camps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good for him, honestly. <sighs> okay, well... This maybe was enough of a preamble about, like, camp in general. So, the super special Babysitter Summer Vacation. Let's talk a little bit about that. Like, the super specials, if you're not familiar, which hopefully you are, but if you're not, they were always narrated by, like, all members of the Babysitter's Club in rotation. And in sort of, um, there would be mixed in, like, postcards and, like, journal entries and sort of a faux, like, 
multimedia format. And this, this was no different. It was the premise here is that Stacy's moved back to New York. Is that right? Or, or she's yes. only supposed to be there for the summer? No, she, this is this is the period between 14 and 28 when she was living in New York. Okay. So yeah, Stacy is living in New York. Dawn's back in California. But they are reuniting at camp. And so Stacy is like, I want us all to keep a collective journal of our camp experience. And, you know, we're making memories. And I miss you guys. And I'm, I'm happy to see you. And we're all going to write in this notebook. Oh, also, by the way, Logan is at the boys' head of camp. That's He's in the notebook, too. But he's not that interesting. <laughs> As usual. The Logan story. They really did not need to have, like, two chapters from Logan's point of view. Just keep the whole thing on the one side of the camp. It doesn't change anything. We get anything that we need to know about the boys from the girls' side anyway. It always feels like people who don't know how to write boys awkwardly inserting a few chapters from boys. Yeah, the only thing I could think is if there were young readers who actually were invested in the Marianne-Logan relationship who are like, I want to see if Logan has cute thoughts about Marianne, but... (laughs) yeah i i didn't love that but anyway so they they're all at camp they're all divided into different cabins except for mallory and jesse who wrote a special letter to get to be junior cits (laughs) and they're 11 and they're in charge of eight-year-olds which is i mean they're not in charge but they are like whenever their special like junior cit project is to choreograph a dance for the eight-year-olds to do at parents day and it seems like when they do rehearsals, there's not a counselor in the building with them. It's like just two 11-year-olds and eight 8-year-olds in the like dance hall or whatever. Which is especially amazing when you consider that one of the CITs for that group is Christy, who's not yeah. like, oh, hey, <laughs> my friends who I never see while we're here while I'm doing my job. I mean, I guess Christy's like, well, they're junior babysitters. So like, obviously, they're trustworthy. Like. <laughs> it's it's very the whole if you think too hard about any aspect of the supervision in this book it just falls apart yeah it's troubling no like i thought a lot about like the aspects of supervision and stuff when i was like eight but at that time it seemed reasonable and that's what gets me it's not the fact that the book is unreasonable it's that i'm looking back and i'm like what were my standards did i really (laughs) think this this is horrifying yeah um, but so it's so it's two weeks of camp, and we're just sort of bopping around back and forth between the girls uh, and Logan's entries and the notebook, and occasionally the stories so sort of overlap, but they're all kind of on their own different you know quests and character arcs throughout the summer, different projects, and mm. so we have we have Stacy. Stacy's kind of thread throughout is that obviously her parents were very nervous about letting her go to camp because of her diabetes. If you're unfamiliar with the Babysitter's Club book, <laughs> there's one important thing about each girl and Stacy's, well, two actually, usually. Stacy's is that she's sophisticated and from New York and she has diabetes. So her parents were very nervous about letting her go. But she, you know, told them like, hey, like, I can take care of myself. Like, you know, I can take care of myself. I've gone away for this long before. Like, and they talk to the camp and they get everything all settled. But she is like, kind of nervous about camp related illnesses in general, because her first day as a CIT, two of the girls in her cabin are sick. One of them has pink eye 
and one of them has a sore throat. Uh, so the first night at camp, when they're teaching them about Lyme disease, Stacy is a little freaked out by it and ends up sitting in a pile of leaves that are very comfortable. And then as the week goes on, she starts to notice that she is itchy and is sure she has Lyme disease and goes eventually to the nurse and finds out, no, she just has poison ivy because she sat in a poison ivy bush <laughs> that first night. And she has a cold that she caught from the girl with a sore throat. And she has pink eye that she caught from the girl who had pink eye. And she has what? Impetigo, which I had to Google. Is that what she has? She has something I had to Google. And I was like, Yes, Ew. yes, that. And then also bug bites that were like positioned as such in the poison ivy that it formed what she thought was a bullseye rash. By the way, I think this is the first time I heard about Lyme disease, maybe. Like, when I was reading this as a kid. That's interesting. Was there Lyme disease out by you when you were no. growing up? That would and, be why. Yeah, because – and um, I know it, it was in East – I think maybe now we have it in the Midwest. We're catching up to the East Coast, you guys. <laughs> yes, but, yeah, I think it was, all like – your diseases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it, at the time it was, like, oh, this is something you can get on the East Coast. And it was sort of mysterious. Mm-hmm. Yes, growing up in New Jersey, it was definitely a, like when you come back in from the woods, from playing in, in the woods, like make sure you don't have ticks. I mean, we checked for ticks, but just because ticks are gross, there wasn't this like extra Lyme disease concern to me as a child. Anyway, that's what Stacy is up to. Christy is being like athletic and feeling. I sort of liked that we did get to see Christy feeling um, a little insecure because the other CITs in her cabin are like cool, cool girls who are performing femininity correctly and who brought like makeup and accessories to camp. And Christy's like, I didn't. And normally we see Christy not necessarily being as concerned with that, but because she's not with her usual friends. I don't know. It was it was an interesting little twist for Christy to because I, I think that is relatable. Like when I was a kid, I wasn't necessarily super into makeup, but then when you get in with girls who seem like cooler and more mature, like you can start to feel like, oh, should I be? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah, I mean, hard same. I Christy was always my favorite as a kid, and that was definitely part of it. And you know, it is it is definitely. I remember from like this is such a weird memory, but I very specifically remember a girl who I was very good friends with who I didn't go to school with. She was the daughter of one of my mom's friends and she was much, much cooler than me. And she like the first person to ever say like, Oh, like you're not wearing a two piece. You're wearing a one piece. And who also was like, Oh, like you should suck your stomach in when you're wearing a bathing suit because it Uh. like makes you look skinnier. Uh, and like though I have such a clear memory of having that conversation where those two things came up with her in my mind when I was like seven or eight and like it's just very you know yeah and like feeling like oh like my Minnie Mouse one piece bathing suit is (laughs) babyish oh baby Kate it's fine. I'm cool now and I do wear two piece bathing suits now. I'm very fashionable. Oh yeah. Yeah, you wear makeup under your mask. I do wear makeup under my mask. You can tell because all of my masks are stained with lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> and Marianne is having a sort of similar arc where she also is with some cool CATs. And she's like, my boyfriend, Logan. And they're like, you have a boyfriend? Like, you're a baby. And she's like, I do. And then so she writes a letter to Logan that's like very over the top and mushy. And she calls him like her love bunny. And then she doesn't really mean to send it. She just like leaves it out for them to find. But she sort of overdid it and went too far. 
calling him her love bunny and whatnot. And they think they still think it's fake. And they're like, Oh yeah. Well, how are you going to get it to him? Are you going to what sneak around the lake and deliver it to him by hand? And she's like, yeah. And, and they sort of like egg her on and give her details. And then she goes and tries to do it. And she only gets about halfway around the camp or around the lake. She doesn't make it to the boys camp. But when she gets caught, one of the boy counselors is like, okay, we'll give it to Logan and takes the note and she gets back and she's embarrassed that she didn't succeed. But everyone's like, Oh my gosh, you made it so far. Like we didn't even think you'd try. And then everyone like actually respects her for her failed attempt at camp crime. I, a thing that I appreciated about this too is again, like if you're unfamiliar with the babysitters club books, a like congratulations for listening this far. Uh, (laughs) You deserve a medal, (laughs) but also Marianne's whole thing is that she's very shy and quiet and sensitive. And I did like here where she fights against those instincts to seem like very cool and disaffected in front of these girls. Like she, when they confront, when they're like, Oh my God, you got like halfway around instead of like kind of freaking out or like maybe defaulting to like a typical like sensitive Marianne reaction. She gets like kind of snotty in their faces and she's like, yeah. And I would have made it the whole way if someone didn't tell them that I was leaving. And (laughs) like throughout kind of plays like, I don't know, like popularity chicken with these girls where every time they suggest something like ballsy and cool for her to do, instead of backing away, she kind of like meets them there and and kind of bluff like calls their bluff and it goes back and forth a lot of times and it it kind of did remind me of um which i think i think is true of a lot of of people in camp stories specifically but in you know any situation where you're away from the people who you know more broadly this idea that like well i'm around strangers so i can kind of act however i want and they won't know that i'm not like that i mean i think that that is one of the chief appeals of a summer camp story. It's the idea of reinvention and the idea that for like however long it is. And I mean, most camp stories, it's eight weeks or four weeks, but here, let's say two, that's fine. For two weeks, you can be whoever you want to be as long as you can maintain that. And by splitting the 23 Stony Brook people up into like 10 different cabins, they can somewhat pull that off by having like – Everyone's kind of figuring out who they are on their own for to some degree, but like I, the way that they divide them, like Claudia, who doesn't have to change who she is, which is good because she's got like two kids who know her incredibly well who are there. Whereas the entire time they're like trying to make over Christy, I'm like, and Becca and Charlotte were just sitting there like, oh yeah, Christy with makeup. That's a thing that happens. Like it's, it's that weird tension where some some people get to be who they really are. Some people get pushed into being someone else. And the the fact that so many people in the Babysitter's Club know each other just, like, makes it a little bit weirder for all for all aspects of that. Yeah, and it is, it is addressed in a couple places to some degree, especially with Christy when the other CITs are kind of, like, talking to her about makeup and accessories and stuff. She, like, explicitly has the thought that, like, 
it's this isn't the only time that she's noticed that she's like the most babyish of her friends. But with her friends, it doesn't matter because she knows them and they're fine with her being the way she is. And she doesn't care most of the time that they are like more into fashion and boys and makeup. And, you know, like even shy Marianne like wants to be into these things, but is just, you know, afraid of stepping outside of who she has always been, especially to her very strict father. And then, you know, Christy notes that surrounded by these CITs, like, they don't know her and she doesn't know them. And she does feel like a baby because they don't understand that she's, like, different and mature in another way. And she doesn't know how to display that for them. That And she just kind of feels like she almost has to go along with this. Yeah, they don't know Christy's a girl boss. <laughs> they don't know Christy's a lesbian. <laughs> it, it's like, it's Christy... Christy existing outside of the context of the Babysitter's Club, it's like she's missing, like, a a huge part of her identity, almost, like... Which is explored in Friends Forever. Yes, that's what what made reading Friends Forever right with um, Summer Vacation that much more interesting to me. Because, like, beyond just the basic plotline of what happens at the camp, it's like, Christy figuring out who she is without the Babysitter's Club is really nothing before that. Like, every 40 books or so, she has a a crisis of, should she quit the Babysitter's Club? Should she be doing something else? Is she too overwhelmed? But she always decides, no, it's such an important part of her identity. And here we see her not consciously thinking that, but without the Babysitter's Club, she's just this girl who likes sports and doesn't know makeup. And that's not enough of an identity for her to push back against, like, these three girls who knew that when they were coming to summer camp, they should still bring, like, Barrettes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of identity, one thing that I didn't think too much of this when I was a kid reading it, but I was very interested in Claudia's plotline because I feel like so much children's literature, so much children's media, so much of like, I don't know, the, the culture of the 80s and 90s was about kind of like a colorblind attitude toward diversity and like, oh, you know, nobody's racist. Everyone's the same. It's fine. And here Claudia's like, I'm Asian. I'm like the only Asian in my friend's group. And here's like a cute Asian boy. And I've only quote unquote dated or like, you know, had my middle school entanglements with white boys. And I'm really interested in this Asian boy. Um, And I thought it was really interesting that they didn't, you know, that they addressed it. And the three of us are white. And I don't know that we can 100% 100% fuck. I'm not drunk. I don't know. 100%. I don't know that we can 100% say how sensitive the portrayal was, but I I liked it. I thought it was good. I like that they tried. I yeah. like that they tried. Um, and we get it from Jesse, too, who, as we said earlier, Jesse and Mallory, their kind of plot line is that they came to camp and had written these letters being like, we know we're only 11 and we can't be CITs, but we really want to be CITs and we're babysitters and we're part of this babysitters club. And so the camp director had written back and said like, okay, well, you're going to be junior CITs and we're going to give you a special project. And they're in the same cabin together. And immediately, like everyone else in the cabin is a mean girl and starts like teasing them and like low-key bullying them and jesse like one of the first things we get from jesse's point of view is her recognition that she and her sister are some of the only black kids that she's seen at camp period Mm -hmm. and that she's very aware of this and that the when the the bullying starts to take a slightly racist overtone 
in that that way that sometimes kids so they they one of the girls calls Mallory and Jesse together Oreos and Jesse explains to Mallory like that's like a a racist insult to black kids to say like oh you're black on the inside white on the out or black on the outside white on the inside and Mallory's like but that doesn't make any sense because I'm white and Jesse's like I know I don't think they know what it means <laughs> I think they just know that it's a mean thing to say to black kids and so they're saying it but they don't get it and then the two of them are so like they're just very amused that these racist kids can't even be racist right mm-hmm. um and the counselor shuts it down and the counselor's like don't say that word and Mallory's like what like yeah it's yeah. it's very and and that actually like the two of them and specifically like their the fact that at one point someone calls them twins and it's like oh no they look too different to be twins that kind of becomes part of the theme of their storyline is this like sticking together and being themselves despite this pressure from these mean girls and kind of bringing the majority of the mean girls around to realize how terrible they've been uh throughout this two week stay and uh, how they, they do this is through the power of dance because when they're <laughs> they choreograph this dance for the eight-year-olds and it's the story and they cast jesse's younger sister becca as one of the there's two girls who are twins and they cast like the only other black girl as one of the twins so it's a it's a black girl and a white girl and they're like they're twins who are new in town and people are mean to them and we express this through dance but then everyone realizes they were wrong and feels bad about it and then it works and all the other campers apologize <laughs> except for one yeah except for one it's it's the kind of thing the two things that really jumped out at me from reading these sections now besides the fact that they handled it better than I expected them to given it's the babysitters club and it's written by a bunch of white people one was I really liked how much more Jesse is attuned to what the other people are doing from the mm-hmm. start like Mallory seems kind of oblivious, whereas Jessie is very aware of what's going on and kind of picking her battles. She absolutely should not mm-hmm. have to do that. But the fact that she's not oblivious while Mallory has the opportunity to be, I guess, would like not the, not exactly the right phrase, but like that that Mallory isn't forced to see it instinctively. I thought was on point and more subtle than I normally expect from the babysitter's club. Yes. Cause even before the mean girls start being racist there, Jesse notices right away that they're looking and judging because Mallory and Jesse are being like dorky and having like matching stuff. And they have their little junior CIT armbands that Mallory made. And Jesse is kind of like, Oh, maybe not though. And Mallory's like, what? No, we're, we're so cool. We have these armbands. It's amazing. And Jesse's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, I agree. I think that Jesse having that additional layer of self-awareness makes sense and was, was well done. And, but the other thing, and again, not to get too into the logistics of Camp Mohawk, but all of the cabins, every age group has two cabins, age A, age B, but they're actually the same big cabin. They're like, they're, they're connected They're You can see into one from the other. Dawn mm-hmm. is the CIT in the other 11 year old's cabin. And I just kept being like, what a horrible friend. Like, obviously you (laughs) don't want your friend to be the one who's like saying, like being the authority figure to you. But for the love of God, like she's right on the other side of the cabin while these little racist 11 year olds are going after her friend. Like, yeah. So I just kind of kept getting stuck on like, so Jesse really has no allies. Like, 
this is being set up like it's because she's not like Stony Brook has racists, but she has her people. But it's like her people aren't helping her here. And I'm just really protective mm-hmm. of Jesse. Like I know she can take care of herself, but she's 11 and I want to wrap her in a blanket. <laughs> yes. Well, and Dawn's got her own problems because Dawn's arc is that she, she's with the other 11-year-olds and they're going to do like an overnight where they like hike to a different part of camp. And actually, here's where I get my tent camp representation, I guess, is one mm-hmm. night they go and there's just a pitch tents in a different part of camp and have a little like more traditional kind of camp out. And right before they're supposed to go on that, their 18-year-old counselor gets an emergency notice that her mom is sick and she has to leave camp immediately. And so they get this replacement counselor in who like had been a CAT last year, but wasn't working at camp. And they, they just drop her into this. She's also like 15. Yeah. Yeah. They just drop in this, like, which it, it, this truly unhinged me. Cause it's like, okay, new baby counselor and two, 13-year-old CATs and the 11-year-olds on your adventure. Goodbye. And it's like you, this is the whole reason why a camp has like a director and ideally like an assistant director (laughs) so that you can have these other adults who can kind of sub in as needed. And like, even if they'd had their normal counselor, they should have had at least one other actual adult to go with them for uh, any number of reasons that should be obvious to an adult listener, but they don't. And then they get lost. And then, Don's kind of been preoccupied with this one shy camper named Heather. And then it turns out Heather's a bookworm and she wrote a book about survival and she kind of saves the day. So it's honestly more of Heather's story than Don's story. So, but they get so lost that their one night camp is camp out in the woods ends up being two nights. And again, that we started talking about this a little bit earlier. Like it's clear from other journal entries that some adults at camp are kind of worried, but they don't really send out a search party. They just passively wait for them to come back a full day late. Can you imagine? Yeah, it's it's very it's it's probably the thing in the book that was most made me most aware of how terrible the staffing ratios are at this camp. Like almost anything else you get lost in the story and you're like, yeah, okay. Like they'll let the 13 year olds take these eight year olds to the arts and crafts tent. It's fine. But once we get into, we wade into this territory, then it becomes very stark that this is, I don't know how this camp is operating. Like when you consider, cause I, I know that you guys did um, an episode earlier on the Island adventure where there, they were only gone for like three or four days and they had like the coast guard out for them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Here they're like, Oh, well, they're lost in the woods for an extra day. No one's parents are contacted. Half the people at the camp don't care. Yeah, imagine your kid comes home and is like, we went on such an adventure. We got lost in the woods for two days. And the parents are like, excuse me? <laughs> like, no one called me? Excuse me? Like, oof, this might be the final year for Camp Mohawk. Except it's not because of the weird time loop. <laughs> By the way, speaking of race and Camp Mohawk, one thing that I also really liked is... um. The kids have to wear uniforms with the Camp Mohawk logo, which is a teepee. And early on, Stacy is like, excuse me, I happen to know that Camp Mohawk, that the Mohawk Indians are, are part of the Iroquois tribal system and they lived in long houses and not teepees, but whatever. I'm like, yeah, go off, <laughs> Stacy. <laughs> and again, another thing that the, the, um, the Netflix series did, which was good, was they just changed it entirely to Camp Moosehead and completely removed any kind of... Um, weird appropriation stuff from the narrative, which I appreciated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Netflix show is killing it. 
we did Christy, we did Stacy, we did Marianne, we did Dawn, Mallory, and Jesse, and Claudia. It's Claudia's story. We started on Claudia, which is how we got into all of this. Like her yes. story is is meeting cute Asian boy CIT and having yes. a little summer romance, and that is that's that's generally hers. Um, we get a couple points of view of Logan, which is just pretty much as a counterpoint to Marianne's story about what's happening to him in the boys' camp while this whole thing with Marianne's letter is going on because they give him the letter during dinner so everyone sees it mm-hmm. and everyone makes fun of him for having like a mushy girlfriend. And they start a food fight, but then like Marianne shows up and she's like so pretty and cool, and everyone's like, "Oh, never mind. We're sorry we made fun of you. She's great." Yeah. And then camp's over, and they all go home. Except there's there, then there's surprise Christmas, right? Which is weird, especially for like a secular camp. But okay, especially Fine. for a secular camp that lasts eight weeks, but the babysitters are only there two weeks, so they they just do it the two weeks. Every two weeks, they have a Christmas. It's weird. Um, certainly not a camp tradition I'm familiar with, but no, it's fine. Yeah, I think let's move on and talk about the Friends Forever book. And if we remember other super special stuff we want to drop in, we can do that. But I, the world of Friends Forever, it made me feel so emotional. It made me feel so destabilized. Where <laughs> it's the summer after eighth grade, but a different one where everyone. The only one who goes to camp is Christy, and then also Abby, who's a newer babysitter. I love Abby, by the way. Abby's the best. I do, and too. I know that a lot of people who are, like, Babysitter's Club purists are, like, anti-Abby because she didn't show up until book 90, and, like, she replaced when a whole bunch of other babysitters left. But I love her, and I will defend her to the death. Continue. I'm not anti-Abby. So I'm an Abba, Abby, um, like, agnostic because I stopped reading before – I didn't really know – I don't know her. I'm the Mariah Carey Jeff, but not in a shady way. Just like, I literally don't know her. Yeah. She was the Jewish babysitter. And oh, like, that's nice. so the, ex- like I was, I wasn't, I don't think I was still reading when she actually joined, but I do remember when they were soliciting in the back of every book, like send in your name suggestions because like they let readers choose the names for the Jewish twins. One of whom would be a babysitter. And so all that I knew was that they, like, they were Jewish and they were going to be in the Babysitter's Club. And it had been, you know, at that point, at least, what, 75 books with no, with no real Jewish representation. So I'm like, Abby exists and she's Jewish. I love her. And then she showed up and she has a terrible sense of humor and she doesn't really seem straight. And I'm like, I love her extra. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was, Abby showing up was right around the time where I was stopping reading Babysitter's Club, but I would still pick them up when they were around. Um, and I was I was volunteering at the library a lot, and I would hang out at my school library a lot. So I read a bunch more past. I didn't get all the way to the end, like The Fire at Marianne's House, but I did read a bunch of the ones with Abby. And she is Abby and the Secret Society, which is one of the mystery books, remains one of my favorite of the Babysitter's Club books in general. It is one of the ones that I have a strong the strongest memory of, probably because I read it, you know, much towards much when I was much older than I, you know, started reading some of these when I was in like first and second grade. But yeah, I, I also love Abby. But yeah, Abby is if you are in a babysitter's club, but you left before Abby showed up, uh, like Amy said, Abby and her twin sister Anna, they moved to Christie's rich person neighborhood where Watson lives. 
And Abby ends up joining the Babysitter's Club, and Abby's very into sports, soccer in particular. Uh, And her twin sister, Anna, is a violinist and very into music. And yeah, Abby's great. She loves dumb jokes, and she is really into sports, and she definitely is a lesbian, and I love her. But she, so she is the person who is going to camp with Christy this summer. Marianne was also supposed to go, but as I alluded to, there was a fire at Marianne's house at the end of the original run of Babysitter's Club books, and her family is staying in a, a very small rental, her and her dad and Dawn's mom, aka her stepmom. And she's her dad is possibly taking a job in Philadelphia. So there's a lot of upheaval in her life. And she's afraid to go to camp and add even more change to it at this point. So she drops out at the last minute. And Christy's pretty upset about it. Claudia's family is going on vacation for a whole month to, um, how do you say that place where she goes? Anyone? I uh, was really hoping someone else knew how to pronounce it. So is it Monaghan? Is it Monaghan or is it Monhegan? Or, or Either, a third thing? I, we don't know. See, you guys are my East Coasters. I was like, everyone surely knows what this place is. I've exposed you. Um, uh, she, they go to an island in Maine called something, and she is nervous about it because her parents like we're going to get back to nature and like no TV and just just family time and and nature and she's like "Uh uh-oh like i like other things um and stacy's in new york with her dad and um her her 15 year old boyfriend ethan who has an earring who her dad is like i don't like him he has an earring and he's too old for you and i'm like maybe he is actually maybe i'm team stacy's dad Um, uh it's apparently monhegan monhegan great thank you but yeah, no, he's 15 and he works at an art gallery and she's an eighth grader. No. And like he takes her to a party with a 17 year old. No. I just like I kept more aggressively saying no the deeper I got into the book. And like I respect the way that middle grade approaches ages as metaphor rather than as literal ages. But she's a child. Yeah. yeah. Very luckily, she seems to have fallen in with like – a 15-year-old and his 17-year-old friends who are just, like, fucking nerds. And, like, he takes her to a party at his 17-year-old friend's house where they drink coffee and recite poetry. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I'm only laughing because that is absolutely the sort of party I would have had when I was 17. Mm-hmm. And it would have been very cool. It would have seemed so cool and so much cooler than, like, those kids who go out drinking, but look at how mature we are. Like, it's exactly yeah. that yeah, kind of party. big time. Big time. <laughs> Mallory and Jesse aren't actively in this, as but they're mentioned. And Jesse is applying to get into fancy ballet school and then gets into fancy ballet school. And good for her, Dodgeff. Yes. And Mallory, uh, in the previous run of Babysitter's Club books, had gone off to boarding school. Um, so it's summer and she's home, but she's not going to camp. She's going to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Christy's like, she's babysitting to save money for printer paper to write her book. And I'm like, how much paper does she need? <laughs> like... Paper doesn't cost that much, Christy. I really like that Mallory's at boarding school, by the way. Like, I, I again, I rec- I recognize all of the purest arguments against people, like, you know, the Babysitter's Club disintegrating. And it does kind of feel like, you know, what is wrong with everything in my childhood? But at the same time, like, I liked that they were kind of stopping to say, like, these characters are not being served by the narrative and actually sending them to places where they would be. Like, I actually... As a single, non-related-to-anything-else book, 
it may not be the best, but I like the book where Mallory goes to boarding school and we just get a book of her at boarding school because it's like, oh, it turns out that this whole time that Mallory's kind of been a weird, awkward nerd, a big part of that was that she had never found people that she fit in with. She just found people who would tolerate her. Aww. So like, it's, I'm, I'm always just like, whenever Mallory at boarding school comes up, I just have this little moment of being like, this is really nice for all of us who were Mallory's. <laughs> yeah. Good. Again, good for her. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people who were really into the babysitters club were like overrelated to one of the characters, one or more of the characters, including their bad aspects. And now like we tend to remember the bad aspects. So I'm always like, good for these characters for like, we should, we should respect them for what they're good at. Let's spend more time talking about how great Claudia is at art and how smart Stacy is. And like, yeah, I, I just, I, I'm happy for these characters. They're now like kids I want to see do well in life. I feel really old and sad when I say this, but still. I thought where you were going with that is a thing that me and, and several of my friends have said kind of throughout our growing into adulthood from a youth obsessed with these books is that very many of us thought we were or wanted to be Marianne or Christy, but were at heart Mallory the entire time. Oh, so much. <laughs> yes. So much. Yeah, I think a lot of the internet has Mallory Mallory energy. Yes. While also being mean. The, the internet yeah. is really mean so- to Mallory. Like every like everywhere that people are talking at the babysitters club, they're like, this is this this one is great and this one is great and this one is great. And then there's Mallory. I'm just like, oh, I'll just sit over here with my wanting to write <laughs> and be like a, the cool older kids. I'll just go hide in a ditch. That's fine. Yeah, some people just can't handle the ordeal of being known, and that's you have to like really address your inner Mallory and accept her. And if you can't get to that stage, you're going to be mean to Mallory, and that's maybe like level one. And so those people just aren't ready yet. <laughs> they'll they'll come around someday. <laughs> so in the book, we've got Christy who's off at camp with Abby. Christy's also upset because Logan has recently quit the Babysitters Club due to sports. Uh, Shannon, she hasn't talked to in weeks, so she doesn't know who's going to be doing all the babysitting while they're at camp for the whole month of July. Uh, Marianne obviously has a lot going on with her house. Claudia is going to be away, and she's very preoccupied with this, and even more preoccupied when Jesse tells her, I'm going to audition for a new ballet school, and if I get in, I won't have time to babysit anymore. And guess what happens while Christy's at camp? She gets a letter from Jesse saying she got into this ballet school and she's so excited, but she's going to be taking classes every day after school and like all day on Saturdays. So she's not going to have time to babysit anymore. And Christy is very upset and shows this to Abby, who throughout my favorite part of this, of Christy's chapters in this book, is that she's very excited to get to know Abby better. And the first several chapters that we get from Christy's point of view at camp are about how Abby is so great and she loves Abby so much and she and Abby are doing so much together. And, you know, she and Abby are doing this together and she loves how Abby loves this and da 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 da, Abby, Abby, Abby. And I was like, oh, I remember being a four, <laughs> 13, 14 year old lesbian who didn't understand yet that that's what that was going on in her life. <laughs> this is highly relatable to me. Um, but she shows Jesse's letter to Abby and Abby's response is, oh, that's so great for Jesse. I'm so happy for her. And Christy's upset because she wants someone else to share her frustration about what's happening to the babysitters club. And she's starting to realize that all of the other girls being in the babysitters club is not their entire personality. Mm-hmm. And as they're getting older, that means that things are going to have to change. 
Yeah, and she's writing literally like, who am I without the Babysitter's Club? I work so hard in the Babysitter's Club, I can't bear to throw it away like a used tissue. It's heartbreaking. But also, Christy's journal entries are really annoying because she writes in this like terse, like no, no, like article style, like happy to be a camp, love getting to know Abby. And also, she uses initials, it's actually like love getting to know A. Um, went to dinner. Like, I don't know, it's very terse. And it's like, you're not, it's not a telegram, Christy. You can write a whole sentence. What are you doing? Uh, so meanwhile, Marianne is at her house, her tiny house with her father and her stepmother and her grandmother, her mother's mother, mm-hmm. who her, she, her grandmother and her father had a big falling out after her mother died. And she hasn't, she doesn't really see her. The, her grandmother doesn't really like interact with them a lot and one of the things Marianne's very upset about is that all of her things that had belonged to her mother had burned up in the fire with the exception of like one piece of jewelry she was wearing so her grandmother's coming to stay in this tiny cramped little house Marianne's metaphor is not very subtle in this book her her grandmother's coming to stay with them in this tight tiny little house that three of them already are feeling smothered in and she doesn't know how it's going to go and also, Logan, her boyfriend, won't leave her alone and is calling her like a hundred times a day and keeps telling her over and over, I'm here for you and I'll take care of you and like, don't worry about it. And she's also feeling smothered by him and is starting to think that maybe she doesn't want to be his girlfriend anymore. Mm-hmm. And she keeps trying to like assert herself with Logan, but she's so shy and he's he's so logan that he's like not picking up and she's like oh i think we should spend like less time together and he's like oh so you want to go see a movie and she's like no i uh, okay i guess like it's and then she writes a letter to christy it's like i tried again it didn't work and christy's like keep trying band man um (laughs) anyway speaking of the internet which we were a while i tried to use the segue and then we got distracted I want to circle back to the internet because this book is also the summer after their eighth grade, but also now it's 1999 and they have internet. And so while Claudia is at first complaining about life in Munhegan and how it's boring and there's nothing to do, then she finds out that her older sister, Janine, who's always been like her parents' favorite and like the better student and whatever. If you know Babysitter's Club, of course, you know what's going on with Janine, but now that it's 1999, she has a laptop and she brought it, she snuck it, even though they weren't supposed to have electronics and stuff. So she snuck her laptop and she's been using it to do email because she was like, this house totally has a phone connection. It's just that our parents took the phones themselves out. So she's secretly getting online and she's like, oh, Claudia, if you keep my secret, you can use my laptop and send emails to your friends. And so now Claudia upgrades from sending letters to Stacy to emails and they're just so cute and also Stacy's like AOL username is NYC girl which a yes that is one of the things about Stacy but also like now she lives there like it was one thing when like she didn't live in New York anymore and her thing was being from New York but now like she actually lives in New York and her email is still NYC girl like I think everyone else is probably like um <laughs> what else are you into besides the <laughs> city that you currently live in <laughs> <laughs> Also, we know Claudia is bad at spelling, and so her letters are... This is one thing where I was like, it seems like an adult trying too hard to be bad at spelling, because she's, like, inconsistent with her bad spelling. And I feel like usually people are more, like, she'll spell the same word wrong, like, three different ways in the same letter. And I feel like that's not usually how it goes, but... There's a very specific way that there are, as strange as this sounds, there are rules 
to how people are bad at spelling and bad at when you're first learning how to spell and how to speak proper English, there's a certain way that your brain works. And it drives me crazy when people, A, like do spelling, incorrect spelling incorrectly. And Mm -hmm. also when people who aren't very good at writing children try to write children and don't understand how children speak incorrectly. Like there is Mm -hmm. a logic to it that a lot of people don't, they just assume like, oh, kids don't know grammar, so they say things weirder. People don't know how to spell, so they, like, the way that your brain works, you're absolutely right. You would have consistent ways of spelling things incorrectly and consistent patterns to how you spell things incorrectly. And Claudia does not. No. At least when we're moving to email, maybe some of this is typos, but anyway. Well, yeah, what I was going to say is, I now I don't remember offhand which book it was. I want to say somewhere around the 70s. She, like, gets introduced to word processing and finds out about spell check and is like, this is the greatest thing in the world. And then I'm like, so why don't – why don't, doesn't she get to use it more? Like, she clearly comes from a family that is on board with, like, typing and using a computer. They'd probably love that. Like, let Claudia get a computer. Like, I mean, obviously in, like, 1994, this was a different demand than it is in 2021. But I'm still like, Claudia deserves a computer. It'll make things easier for her. And then the emails also had the typos. And I was like, why are you like this today? Why are you doing this to me? I mean, I will say that it I can understand her not running like spell check because unlike the way AOL back in the 1999, you had to actually hit a separate button to run spell check. It didn't spell check as you typed unless you turned that on specifically. So I can see, I can kind of understand it. Of her, like, not bothering to hit the spell check button because she's just sending it to Stacy, so who cares? Yeah, Stacy gets it. Yeah, and this is just a minor quibble, and I still love Claudia, and she's still yeah. the best. And we're going to talk a lot more about Claudia next time. Hell yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. But just to kind of wrap up this book, um, so Abby tells Christy that she also is going to quit the babysitter's club because she feels like she doesn't have any free time and she wants to have time. Like camp has made her realize that like, she wants to have time to just like hang out and do things and not have to go from like soccer to school to babysitting job to soccer again to home and then do it all over again the next day. And Christy is really mad at her and they have a big fight at camp and all of their their kids who they are watching because they're still 13-year-old CITs who are in charge of a bunch of children <laughs> are very upset that the two of them are fighting. They find Abby finds a mean list about her that Christy has put in her journal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, the kids come up with a skit for Parents' Day that is basically about Christy and Abby having a fight and making up and becoming friends again. Camp Mohawk really is a place where on Parents' Day, like, everyone learns a very pointed lesson from a skit. <laughs> and also all of the gossip that's been going around yeah. in the other cabins. <laughs> um, Claudia ends up having the best time of her whole family at Monhegan Island or whatever, because she finds an artist colony is there, and she ends up connecting with an artist who lets her, like, take classes and takes her out to go sketching and stuff, and she catches both of her parents also breaking the rules while they're there. So she is the only good one the entire time, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. she loves that. Like, what I, what I love about it is that she decides she's not going to tell everyone. She's just going to use this as leverage. And I was like, I'm so proud of you, Claudia. This is this is <laughs> yeah, Cla- and this is good. 
Good for you. Yes. Claudia's emotional intelligence is top tier. And she's also displaying that in giving advice to Stacy because Stacy's kind of arc is my dad doesn't like my 15 year old boyfriend and I don't like my dad's adult girlfriend. And my dad and his girlfriend are talking about moving in together. And she is just coming up with increasingly like silly reasons like, oh, we don't have enough hangers in the closet for another person. She can't come. And Claudia just writes back, Stacey, you can buy more coat hangers with buying capital <laughs> letters. I'm like, yeah, like, Claudia, you get it. You're you're cutting through the bullshit here. So eventually, Stacey and her dad and her dad's girlfriend and Stacey's boyfriend get together and have a dinner. And Ethan finally convinces Stacey's dad that he's, like, mature and nice. And because he's so mature and nice, he's encouraged Stacey to give the girlfriend a chance. And she's like, maybe the dad's girlfriend's. Her name's Samantha. Um, Maybe Samantha's Mm -hmm. not so bad. And maybe it would be okay if they move in together. And then the dad is like, Stacey, thank you for being mature about this. But I've decided we're taking things slow with Samantha. So she's not moving in yet. But maybe we'll talk about it again later. And uh, Marianne, meanwhile, her visit with her grandmother has gone great. And her grandmother has brought a whole bunch of her mother's things for them. So that she doesn't, like her grandmother points out, like you lost all the things that you had from your mother, but I have more things and I want you to have them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a very emotional night where like she just gives them all of these things that her mother, that she had had from Marianne's mother. Uh, and they also discover that the they know that the barn behind their house was not damaged by the fire. And her father decides he's not taking the job in Philadelphia and maybe they should renovate the barn into a house so that they can live there. They already own the property. So it's not, you know, they don't have to go out and find somewhere new. And in the meantime, a different house on their street is up for rent. So they're going to rent that house so they won't be going anywhere in the meantime. And the other part of Marianne's story is that she does stand up to Logan but it's after she tells Logan she wants to talk to him so they should get dinner and he assumes it's a date. So he brings her flowers and then she's basically like, you're smothering me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he hasn't talked to her since, but she has pretty much decided at this point that she is going to break up with him the next time he actually will speak to her. Yes. And then at the end, they the original four babysitters, um, Christy, uh, Marianne, and Claudia, and Stacy are talking and realizing, like, oh, we're all going to start high school. We're all going to be too busy to babysit as often as we used to, which, A, is hilarious because that they're only sort of actually reaching the age when it's actually responsible to be a babysitter <laughs> in a normal town. But they're like, we're going to be 14 and we're going to age out of the concept of babysitting. <laughs> but they're all like, but we love the club and we love each other. So instead of our three weekly meetings, why don't we dial it back down to one meeting and we're not going to advertise for new clients anymore. And we're just going to have like a more low key babysitters club experience. And I read that and I was so proud of them. I was like, you like what mature eternal eighth graders you are. I can't wait for you to reach ninth grade. Love to see it. <laughs> like I, I really feel like the entirety of everything changes. It's like all four of them are showing like way more emotional growth in this one book than they had over any like dozen babysitters club books taken together from any of the previous yes. series when yes. they were because they were so stuck in limbo. Like The entire nature of the series is that they wanted you to be able to pick up a book at any point or, like, not read them in order, like, get whatever you can from the library. 
So they were so stuck in limbo. And the last like 20 books of the regular series and then this series are really about like, let's let these characters actually mature. And because you've spent, you know, hundreds of books on these characters, it's just like, I'm, I feel proud of them despite them being fictional characters. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I felt so emotional reading this book. Just start to finish. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Same. Amy, I have a question for you. Have you read the whole Friends Forever series? Uh, yes, I have. So what is the timeline here? Because obviously this one is taking place. I mean, obviously they are in an endless time loop, but it did feel like this one was starting to take them into linear time. But also it seems like the 12 books that encapsulate the Friends Forever series also still take place in eighth grade. I'm pretty sure they are still eighth grade. But it's like, it's a very different eighth grade. Like, it's, I, well, first of all, are you kidding me? I really thought they were graduating into high, that's, because this is summer and then they go back in time. Well, you know, see, you have to understand, Everything Changes is technically also a super special. It's like the babysitter's Friends Forever special. It's friend. It's a. It's everything changes. Then I th- want to say it's twelve books. It may have been ten books. And then it's graduation day. The last book in Friends Forever is them graduating eighth grade. I'm losing my mind. It just like it just <laughs> feels like it doesn't. It feels like this should have been. <laughs> now I'm a little bit mad again. I get. <laughs> I knew I knew there was a graduation book, which is why I was confused because it felt almost like this one was going to be the summer before ninth grade, and then the twelve books would have been ninth grade, and then the last book would have been. But then I was like, but how could it be a graduation book? Because I knew it was a graduation book. If there like is ninth grade suddenly pushed into the middle school, which is what I thought might have been the case because I've read there's some other series I've read where that is a conceit is that suddenly like the next grade up is not the high school anymore it's part of the junior high so they're not actually moving up and it gets them like an extra year folded into the series I I wish I could remember what this was and so I was wondering if the babysitters club had done a similar thing where it was like oh you are in ninth grade now but actually you're still in middle school (laughs) See, like they just they did kind of the opposite of that with the um, California Diaries series. They moved the eighth grade into the high school, so they could have that. Dawn maybe that's still, what I'm thinking of. Where they had Dawn still in eighth grade, but also like a high schooler, and it was that was their that was the whole thing where they with their series where they were straddling like adult and middle and middle grade. But then no, the the Friends Forever it ends with them graduating high school or sorry graduating middle school. High school would be way too far ahead. I acknowledge that. And, but it, it always stuck with me because there, there's a moment where Stacy thinks she won't graduate because she couldn't find her library book to return. And for <laughs> some reason, that was just like the most babysitter's club possible problem to happen at the at eighth grade graduation. <laughs> so true. And so that is the part that has always stuck with me. I don't actually remember anything else in that series. Okay. Well, we're clearly just in the Jeremy Baramy of it all. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think I'm I'm getting confused with the the California Diaries with the, I think that's what I was thinking of is how they I knew they somehow finagled like what where a particular grade was in order to do something with the narrative and I think that's what I was thinking of is the moving the eighth grade to the high school so that you could have the more serious California Diaries books. All right, well let's close this time loop and move on to our dramatic readings, shall we? Sounds good. All right. We're going to start with a couple from 
super special babysitter summer vacation. And I'm going to read you a little bit of uh, Mary Ann's journal entry. Suddenly, I didn't know why I had wanted to come to camp so badly. Maybe it was because it had looked like such fun in the movies. Lying around on cushy beds, daydreaming about movie stars or cute boys, making neat things in arts and crafts, finding new friends to tell secrets to. But mostly what I heard about here was sports stuff. That was what the girls, even the little ones in my cabin, talked about. And the other CITs were into being totally cool. I got the idea that spending a lot of time in the arts and crafts cabin would not be cool. Talk about cool, Randy, my co-CIT, reminds me so much of Claudia, only in looks, that it's weird. She has long, long dark hair, dark eyes, and extremely cool accessories. There's nothing she can do about wearing the can't outfit. She has to wear it like the rest of us, but she accessorizes it beautifully. On this first day, she wore parrot earrings, Claude has a pair of those, a braided string bracelet on one arm, a wristful of bangles on the other arm, and even an ankle bracelet over one teepee sock. The bracelet spells out her name. In her hair was a headband with a neon green bow attached to the side. It clashed with the green words Camp Mohawk on her t-shirt, but who cared? So cool. Can you believe it? I really love that this is their definition of cool. Like, like, and I don't honestly know if I mean Marianne's definition of what cool would be, or like the Camp Mohawk definition of cool. Or just like how we all behaved in the 80s, which is also something worth considering. <laughs> yeah, it's just extremely cool. All right, and Amy's up next with another reading from uh, the super special. This, this would be Stacy when she shows up to the nurse. I have Lyme disease, I told her dispiritedly, as if I barely cared anymore. And allergies and dyspepsia and chicken pox. I mean, pox. The nurse recovered. You don't look so hot, that's for sure. Come and lie down. I'm I'm Miss Dinsmore, and you're lucky because the camp doctor visits today. He'll be able to provide a course to prescribe a course of treatment. For now, we better put something on that poison ivy. Poison ivy? I repeated. It's all over you. This rash on my arms and legs. Yup, it's the worst case I've seen in years. What did you do? Roll around in the leaves? You do know what poison ivy looks like, don't you? I didn't, but I remembered the nice patch of leaves I'd found to sit in that first night at camp. And come to think of it, I'd been itchy ever since then. It was just that the rash had been spreading and thickening lately. I'll spare you guys the really gross details of the doctor's visit and just tell you that my Lyme disease was actually a big mosquito bite surrounded by poison ivy. My red eyes were pink eye, thanks so much, Valerie. My sneezing and allergies and tiredness were a cold. The disgusting thing by my mouth was impetigo. And all the itchiness was from more insect bites and, of course, the poison ivy. The dyspepsia was a nervous stomach, which cleared up as soon as I found I didn't have Lyme disease. Poor Stacy. I, I just, I love that this, this is 100% how someone from the city would be like, I'm experiencing nature and I don't like it. <laughs> uh, maybe if she had a neon green hair bow, she'd feel better. Who wouldn't? All right. Now we're going to move on and read a little bit from Friends Forever. And I'm going to jump back in with a little bit from our girl, Claudia. From C. Kishi. Subject, Janine Breaks Rules. To NYC Girl. Date, Friday, July 16th. Time, 8-19-47 a.m. Hey, Stace, it's me, Claude. Are you surprised to find this on your computer? Believe me, I was surprised to find a computer to write to you on. You'll be even more surprised when you find out who this computer belongs to. Janine. 
here's what happened. Last night, we were all sitting around after dinner, which is what we always do in the evening. Mom and Dad and I were reading. I was rereading an old paperback Nancy Drew that was stuck inside a book that I took out of the library here. Then Janine disappeared upstairs. She's been doing that a lot lately. Feeling like Nancy, I decided to follow her. I just wanted to see what she was up to. Well, my prayers were answered. The door to Janine's room was closed, but I heard a faint clicking sound coming from inside. So I did something clever. I rapped twice very quickly on her door, then just went ahead and opened it like she'd told me to come in. Guess what I saw? There was Janine seated on her bed, and in front of her was her, all caps, laptop computer. <laughs> I'm going to stop here and not read the whole scene of her confronting Janine, but it's just delightful, and I love Claudia. <laughs> I love Claudia and Janine in that scene. Like, they, they finally gave Janine a personality. I, I love that, that they yeah. were finally like, yeah, okay, she's older and has a big vocabulary, and she's kind of a goody two-shoes, but also, apparently, she's a nerd who wasn't willing to, like, go a summer without her laptop. Like, good. This is yes. a great character development. I love her. Continue. <laughs> I like to, later on, Claudia convinces Janine to come take an art class with her, with the artist who she's connected with on the island, and Janine's very nervous about it. And but like is is very encouraged by the artist and then looks at Claudia painting something abstract and is like, oh, my God, like you can just paint whatever you feel like. And that's OK. And Claudia's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> and it just felt like a very genuine moment between them. And then she mentions later when like the artist comes by and meets her parents that Janine is like very shy and flustered by her because she's so cool. And I liked that, too. Yeah. Anyway, so the last portion I'm going to read is also from Everything Changes. And it is Everything Changes, by the way, is the name of the first episode of Torchwood. And it keeps every time I say it, my brain goes to a totally different place. <laughs> but, so this is about how much fun Christy is having with Abby at summer camp. Last night, Abby and I had so much fun. There was this party across the lake, a get together for the boy and girl CITs. It started when the boys paddled across the lake in all these canoes glowing with lighted candles. We girls climbed into the canoes and the boys took us back across the lake. They were very gallant. Don't worry, this isn't as chauvinistic as it sounds. At the end of the evening, the girls had to paddle themselves home. And this morning we had to take the canoes back to the boys camp. Anyway, Abby and I rode in a canoe with these two boys, Jay and Hal. They were really nice, but dorky. Hal kept speaking with this fake British accent that only he thought was funny, and he spit a lot when he talked. He was a very moist person. <laughs> and Jay did nothing but recite sports statistics. I love sports, Marianne, but I do not need to know 1940s batting averages while being paddled across a lake under a starry sky. Abby and I sat together in the middle of the canoe and tried not to look at each other. Every time we did look at each other, we would start to laugh and have to look away again. Eventually, Jay and Hal got us to shore. We were the last to arrive because the boys were not too adept with the canoe. Twice, Abby and I had offered to take over the paddles, which I know would have cut our time across the lake in two, but the boys kept saying that, no, no, they were going to get us there themselves. Jay actually said, by hook or by crook, and Hal said, righto, governor. And once again, Abby and I couldn't look at each other. At last, we struggled out of the canoe and were back on shore. Abby and I thanked the boys and ran for the party as fast as we could, hoped we weren't being too rude. The party was held under a big tent, which was decorated with lanterns and strings of colored lights. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. 
After Abby and I got something to eat, we took our food to one of the docks and sat there eating and chatting. A few other kids were already there, and after a while, two guys, not Jay and Hal, sat down next to us. They said something about the food, and we said something about Jay and Hal in the canoe, and before you knew it, we had introduced ourselves, and the four of us were talking away a mile a minute. We sat on the dock with Dan and Barry for most of the evening. When the party ended, I suddenly felt all tongue-tied. What are we supposed to do now? We weren't going to see the boys again, and I didn't want to do some awkward goodbye, but Abby saved the day. She smoothly produced a pad of paper, wrote down our addresses for Dan and Barry, and took down their addresses. Then we climbed into a canoe with two other girls, and Abby cheerily called goodbye to the boys. Awkward moment avoided. Abby is the greatest. Now kiss. Yes. Okay, so if you haven't, you really need to read Abby's Unvalentine, which is an entire book about how, like, there's clearly a guy at Stony Brook Middle School who's into her, and she's clearly not into it, and she wants the secret admirer to stop. And un- and the reason that this has always stuck with me is that the story ends with her spending Valentine's Day going to a movie with Christy so they don't have to deal with boys. I yes. don't think I've read that one, but I am going to read it imminently. <laughs> yes. It's so great. Love it's that so for great. them. And I'm, and I'm just like, oh, this was as close as you could get in a middle grade book in like the late 90s. Good for you. Well, that's great because we're moving into Reader's Advisory where we suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to these Babysitter's Club books. And it sounds like Abby's Unvalentine is a is a great one for the list. Um, what else do we suggest for fans of Babysitter's Club to read? I'm going to leave this one to Amy because I'm sure she has a ton of summer camp recs that she could provide for us. I have like an unholy amount of summer camp books, Yes. Okay, so if you like the whole idea of the boys across the lake, there's a Caroline B. Cooney book, Camp Boy Meets Girl, which is just like, it just hits that part of your id over and over and over. Like, that is not even my id. And I'm still like, good job. This is exactly what that should be. Then if you just like, like, Adventures at Summer Camp, part of a summer camp book, I Want to Go Home by Gordon Corman is probably my favorite middle grade summer camp book. I'm not actually sure if it's in print right now, but if it's not, like, find a used copy. It's so great. It's one of the Gordon Corman books that he wrote when he was, like, actually middle grade age writing middle grade books. And wow. it's basically, like, it's it's from the point of view of this one kid who's stuck in a cabin with this other kid who is just kind of passively resisting everything about camp. And just being incredibly difficult. And over the course of the story, you see that it's like, it's like everybody assumed that he was just doing it because he's not good at anything. And it turns out he just doesn't want to do it. Like, he's really good at everything, but he decides he doesn't care. Anyway, I love it. And it's a fantastic book. And if you are reading summer camp books because you want the queer content of summer camp books, Empress of the World was the first, like, queer summer camp novel that I read. And it's so good. And... It gives me a lot of feelings and Sarah Ryan is great and I highly recommend it if you want to go have feelings about like teenagers who are having that awakening moment again. Great. Well, we'll have those and some other ones up on our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. And for now, we'll move on to play the Rock Paper Snicked, which is our favorite game where uh, Kate says who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Amy will choose which most enhances the book, well, books, I suppose, um, or can choose to leave them as is, which is paper. All right. 
If Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would be a counselor at the boys' side of the camp in uh, Summer Vacation, the the first Camp Mohawk book, uh, solely so that he could steal from Mr. Meany the dramatic moment in the food fight scene where Mr. Meany, who would be The Rock in this circumstance, uh, stands up to admonish the boys and then gets hit in the chest by a spoonful of uh, pickle relish and tries to blow his whistle to stop the argument and uh, to stop the food fight and mustard comes out. But instead, it would be The Rock instead of Mr. Meany. And then like The Rock would good naturedly join in creating even more chaos. And of course, demonstrating to the audience that he is the cool counselor. And then he would eat like 100 pancakes. Yes. Um, Well, if Wolverine were in this book, he would teach knife throwing at camp, and it would be exactly the same book, except the girls would know how to throw knives. You know, normally this would be very difficult, but when I was like eight, my cousin and I used to play Wolverine and Christy Thomas, because that was the only way that we could (laughs) find a game that we would both play. So I got to go with that. Oh my god, Amy. Iconic, iconic. I don't know if I've ever told this story before on this podcast. I know I've told it to my friends before, but when my brother and I were little, we used to play I Had a Dollhouse and he had uh, the Ghostbusters firehouse playset. Mm-hmm. And we would put them right next to each other and we would do epic crossovers with all of the X Men and Ghostbusters action figures that we had, but also the dolls, one of whom I had decided was Christy Thomas. <laughs> This is the so best. Way, I did also used to play Christy Thomas and <laughs> I think they'd get along great. <laughs> and I would love to see it. Anyway. Let's let's move on now to Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will give his opinions on the story. Duarte, you're right. Uh, Marianne's cat Tigger really did not have enough content in these books, especially when they were you know, considering where to move in Friends Forever, I really think they should have thought about thought about that. You know, does the new house have a catio? <laughs> I, I did appreciate, though, that the other girls did bring some scrapbooking supplies, specifically so Marianne could create some pages in her new scrapbook about Tigger. That was very thoughtful of them. That's true. <sighs> All right. Do any humans have any closing thoughts about this book or anything else? Gosh, I love the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> I just, I, I really, it's, it's such perfect nostalgia for me because even though like there's obviously, there are ways it's dated and there are ways that it's, it's formulaic and there are definitely like representational problems in the babysitter's club. I'm not like pretending that any of those disappear. It's still like the reasons they were comfort reads for me for years, really, they all still hold up. And it's so nice to like just reread something and not be aside from the fact that they need like responsible adults in their life. It's nice that they're mostly there. There's nothing in here that I need to completely disavow. Yeah. Yeah. I feel very similarly. I mean, I've talked before many, many times on this podcast about how comforting I find, you know, in this case, like police procedurals because of the formula. And I feel the same way about these books, like having, I'm sure this is part of like what made that so appealing to me in general, like just, Everything about it was very comforting to me as a child, and revisiting them now is just honestly a delight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're looking to while away in a summer afternoon as an adult, I mean, these are quick reads. You can get in and out and just revisit these characters, 
or read the Friends Forever book and be shook as time seems to change for them. And a lot of them are available as eBooks in library systems. There were I was surprised that there were a couple different libraries that had the Summer Vacation Super Special available uh, when I went to go take it out to read for this. All right. Well, if you want to find us online and get help finding an accredited summer camp to send your children to or discuss 80s fashions, uh, we are available for that. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Worst Bestseller spelled normally. Um, and we're also on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S at the end because Claudia typed our username and she spelled <laughs> it wrong. But it's okay because we still love you. Uh, we also have a Goodreads group that is best accessed by going to our website, worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Goodreads link. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all of the places that you get podcasts. Uh, if you do, if you would please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it pushes us up a bit in the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review, we will be forced to leave you in the woods with a bunch of 11-year-olds and uh, make you find your way back with little to no training. Oh, no. We're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay for our editing software and keep our website up and running. And in exchange, there are perks for you, like a, a newsletter that comes out periodically and uh, postcards and stickers and all sorts of other things. Additionally, we have merch available by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch, where you can find all sorts of things from our podcast to wear on your body. And finally, we do have a Discord server available by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Discord link, where you could join other fans of the show and the two of us in looking at pet pictures and talking about Legends of Tomorrow and all sorts of other very vaguely podcast-adjacent things. It's a great time. Uh, finally, if you just want to talk to me personally on Twitter, I'm at Renata Snacks. I am most active on Instagram these days, but I am at 14 across and I'm at 14 across on Twitter too. I've just been taking a break. Amy? I'm at Amy R. Stern on, um, twi on Twitter. So except I keep forgetting to log in. So I never answer anything there, but I'm there and I care a lot about the babysitter club. So you should definitely interact with me. Also, in my normal day-to-day -day life, I work as a literary agent at the Sheldon Fogelman Agency. And if you have any projects about, say, summer camp or girls being friends and bordering on queerness, if not actual queerness, please feel free to submit to me. Our, our guidelines are online, and I would love to see you. The first book that I negotiated the contract for on my own just came out in May. So if you want to go take a look at No One Returns from the Enchanted Forest by Robin Robinson... It is a really fun middle grade graphic novel. Go take a look. Ooh, excellent. Does no one return because they were led there by a 15-year-old counselor who doesn't know how to read a compass? <laughs> yes. Well, that's spoilers. We'll find out. <laughs> All right. Flashback Summer will continue. We'll be back in two weeks with more Babysitter's Club. I think that we will be reading Claudia and Mean Janine, but... If that changes, you can't hold me legally accountable for this. Yes, uh, we will be talking about Claudia in general. It will be our Claudia episode. Also, every episode is a Claudia episode, but <laughs> yes. So that's what's on the agenda. Um, Amy, thanks again for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me and for giving me the opportunity to revisit these books, which I'm now going to go and read a bunch of other Friends Forever books. So that's really your fault. But thank you. 
I know. <laughs> Keep us posted on how the time stream changes over there. I'm invested. I'm going to start like one of those walls with all the string. Yes, that seems necessary, to be honest. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we'll see you all in, in two weeks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.